0: Volume One, Chapter Thirteen of Autobiography of a Seaman by Thomas Cochrane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Dissolution of Parliament. On the twenty seventh of April, eighteen o seven, the short but busy Parliament was dissolved. His Majesty being anxious to recur to the sense of his people. In other words, it was dissolved for political reasons, not within the scope of the present work to enter. In the following month of May, writs were issued for a general election, and as my Honiton constituents, even during the short period I had been ashore, had heartily sickened me of further connection with them by the incessant cry for places with which they had assailed me, I made up my mind to become a candidate for Westminster, with the object of adding the weight of an important constituency to my own representations on naval or other abuses whenever opportunity might occur or as i told the electors of westminster at a meeting convened at the st albans tavern my motive for soliciting their suffrage was that quote, a man representing a rotten borough could not feel himself of equal consequence in the house with one representing such a city as westminster that disclaiming all attachment to parties or factions it was not only my wish to be independent but to be placed in a position where I could become so with effect, and that as this was impossible with no more efficient backers than my late constituents, my connection with them had ceased, and I had taken the liberty of soliciting the suffrages of the electors for Westminster. End quote. The candidates for Westminster were the right honourable Brinsley Sheridan, Mr. Elliot, mr paul and myself it was not till the poll had commenced that sir francis burdett at that time confined to his bed by a dangerous wound received in a duel with mr paul was put in nomination without his knowledge the nature of his wound not permitting any person to communicate with him except his medical attendant i was regarded as the opponent of mr sheridan and for want of better argument that gentleman's partisans in the press sought to deprecate me in the estimation of the electors, by representations of the utmost unjust character, a far more reprehensible act than that of pointing out to them the advantage of retaining an eminent and tried man in preference to one of whose political tendencies they could practically know nothing. In electioneering all devices are considered fair, so in place of resenting or retaliating they were met by my declaration that, whatever gentlemen might say of their long political services to the electors belonged the privilege of judging for themselves and that in looking for security for the performance of pledges they should also consider the character of those who gave them i was not a mere professed reformer but the zealous friend of reform earnestly desiring to see it thoroughly carried out as regarded many abuses which had crept into our constitution much had been said of profligacy and profusion of public money but what was to be said of a commander-in-chief of the navy who would give away those commissions which formed the stimulus and should be the reward of honorable merit in exchange for borough interests if i had the honor of being returned for westminster i should feel confident in rising to arraign such abuses but in representing a rotten borough i was under restriction this explanation was favorably received and the result was that on the tenth of may i was at the head of the poll whilst my detractors were at the bottom sir francis burdett being third and mr sheridan fourth a circumstance which called forth from the latter gentleman one of those diatribes for which he had become famous to this i replied as follows quote, i perfectly approved of the sentiments professed by the right honourable gentleman that internal quote begins, with respect to his own principles he would prefer the approbation of his country before the favour of any administration or other set of men internal quote ends. it had however been said that naval officers were unfit for representatives of the people in parliament but how were abuses in the navy to be pointed out or redressed by parliament without the presence of men competent to point them out give accurate information and suggest remedies for six years past such abuses had prevailed as were paralyzing the navy it was not the place to enter into details but a few of the more prominent points might be mentioned under what was called the system of economy adopted in the fleet ships were kept at sea month after month and in such a crazy state of repair as scarcely to be in a condition to float the system was that when such vessels came into harbour for repair the admiralty artificers were sent on board to examine them these men were afraid to tell the truth if they considered it unpalatable to their employers lest they should lose their places they therefore reported that such ships would do a while longer with some slight repairs the vessels received those repairs without coming into dock and were sent to sea where they were wrecked or found it this was the case with the Atalante, ship of war which was four months off rochford last winter i was ordered to victual that ship for a long voyage and remonstrated declaring my opinion that she was unfit to go to sea and that if she was sent the first intelligence from her would be that she had founded the result was exactly as i had foretold in spite of the remonstrance she was sent to sea and ship crew and all went to the bottom Open bracket, loud laughter, close bracket. it was no laughing matter like the fable of the frogs it might be fun to some though anything but fun for the brave men whose lives were so valuable to their families and their country. A similar fate attended the Felix schooner, which was compelled to proceed to sea in a like condition, and went down with officers and crew, of whom one man only was saved. Another point might be mentioned. What could be said of a man at the head of the navy who would lavishly grant away in exchange for rotten borough interests naval commissions which ought to be the reward of those brave officers who had... years devoted their lives at every hazard in the service of their country yet it was notorious such things were done it had been asserted that naval and military officers were ineligible to seats in parliament because they might at any time be called away by their professional duty but such men might and often did effect more for their country in a few days sometimes in a few hours than half those gentlemen who continued for seven years sitting on their cushions in the house of commons without speaking a word for the public good nay very often voting against it Open bracket, laughter and applause Close bracket. with regard to reform it would be my wish to bring back the constitution to its ancient purity to exclude altogether from parliament those placemen and pensioners who by ancient laws were excluded from it but whom modern practice had deemed it expedient to place in the legislature what had the committee of reform done of whose labours and intentions so much had been said when the dissolution came they were found sitting where they began their task without having effected anything whatever at the final close of the poll sir francis burdett and myself being at the head were declared elected and i had the honour of representing a body of constituents whose subsequent support under the most trying events of my life forms one of my most gratifying recollections I must also record it to the honour of my westminster friends that during my long connection with them no elector ever asked me to procure for himself or relatives a place under government whilst the multitude of applications for place from my late constituents formed as has been said a source of intolerable annoyance this election was remarkable as being the first in which public opinion firmly opposed itself to party faction it had become unmistakably manifest that the two great factions into which politicians were divided had no other object than to share in the general plunder and as a first step to this to embarrass the government of the quote ins end quote, by the factious opposition of the quote outs end quote. indeed so obvious had this become that the appellations of Whig and Tory were laid aside by common consent and the more descriptive names of quote, outs end quote and quote ins. End quote, substituted in their stead my election had no doubt been secured by the emphatic declaration that i would belong to neither party supporting or opposing either as in my judgment might seem conductive to the national good the animosity of these respective parties against each other was favourable to such course each accused the other of grasping at officers for the sake of personal or dependent advantage and averred that the aim of their opponents was neither the administration of government which as has been seen was left to administer itself in its own way nor the good of the country but the possession and distribution of the public money so virulent did these mutual recriminations become that it cannot be wondered at if people took the disputants out of their word the more so as the moment either party was in power they threw aside the principles which had gained momentary ascendancy and devoted their sole attention to their former practices knowing that as their position of office might be short a tenure so uncertain must be made the most of statesmanship amongst such people was out of the question neither party could even foresee that the very disgust which their scramble for office was exciting in the public mind must one day overthrow both factions it was at this very westminster election that the patriotism of the electors made itself felt throughout the length and breadth of the land and laid the foundation of that reform which has been obtained by the present generation to the error which had been committed both factions became speedily alive and each in turn persecuted the expression of public opinion whenever opportunity offered the press as far as possible was gagged public writers and speakers heavily fined and sentenced to lengthened imprisonment and where the rank or position of the offender rendered this impracticable both parties joined in the most uncompromising hostility to him as afterwards i had but too much reason to know to my cost on the twenty fourth of june the electors of westminster insisted on carrying sir francis Burdett from his house in piccadilly to a magnificent entertainment at the crown and anchor tavern in the strand a triumphal car was provided which on its passage through immense crowds of spectators was enthusiastically greeted the illustrious occupant reclining with his wounded leg on a cushion whilst the other was placed on a figure inscribed with the words venality and corruption which were thus emblematically trampled under foot on the twenty-sixth the house was formally opened by the delivery of his majesty's speech through the instrumentality of commissioners viz lord chancellor eldon and the earls of aylesford and dartmouth in the course of the debate on the address during which much party recrimination took place i excited great animosity by expressing a hope that as each party charged the other with making jobs in order to influence the elections the conduct of both might in this respect be inquired into and that hence some third party would arise, which would stand aloof from selfish interests and sinecure places, for that, as parties were at present constituted, I would not support either, unless they were prepared to act on other principles than those by which their present course appeared to be guided. Quote. On the 7th of July, pursuant to notice, I brought forward a motion to the following effect. Quote, that a committee be appointed to inquire into and report upon to this House, an account of all offices posts places sinecures pensions situations fees prerequisites and emoluments of every description paid out of or arising from the public revenues or fees of any courts of law equity admiralty ecclesiastical or other courts held or enjoyed by or in trust for any member of this house his wife or any of his descendants for him or either of them in reversion of any present interest with an account of the annual amount of such distinguishing whether the same arises from a certain salary or from an average amount, that this inquiry extend to the whole of His Majesty's dominions, and that said committee be empowered to send for persons, papers and records. My argument was, that if this motion were granted, the result would prove whether there was any possibility of making those who had lived on and enriched themselves by the public money feel for the extraordinary burthens under which the people laboured the late plan of finance proved that as much as could be extracted had been drawn from the people and that it was not possible to extract more ingenuity having exhausted itself in devising new sources of taxation so that it was necessary to satisfy the greed of dependence on the public purse by the expedient of profligate advertisements offering for sale the public patronage and even seats in a certain assembly it was proper to show the public that there was nothing in the character or habits of those composing that house which they desired to conceal quote. there was nothing factious in this but the fear of the government was that were such a motion agreed to the country would perceive that the vast accumulation of the national debt did not arise so much from the warlike expenditure defensive or aggressive as from political profligacy the motion was therefore opposed by one of the leading members of the house on the ground that it was invidious and improper to convey to the public an insinuation that members of parliament were influenced by considerations of private advantage for themselves or their dependents and that it was most essential at this critical period the character of the house of commons should not be degraded or depreciated in this view both factions joined con amore but the question as to which it was aimed at was only that of being in or out of office that there was any chance of such a motion being passed was not expected by any one, and least of all by myself but the predicament in which it had placed the house was that of either assenting to the correctness of its principle or of asserting boldly that there were no grounds for the inquiry the latter course was too high to be taken with safety mr whitbread a most excellent man and a great peacemaker when practicable came to the rescue by stating that though he concurred in principle with my motion yet it might be sufficient to refer it to a committee of finance with instructions to inquire into and report upon the matters therein contained such a course would be useful without being invidious and a report based upon such alteration would probably be attended with beneficial results mr percival caught at the alternative thus presented and immediately proposed that the motion should be thus altered That there should be an instruction to the committee of public expenditure to procure a list of all places, pensions, etc., specifying by whom they were held, with the exception of those belonging to the army and navy and officers below two hundred pounds a year in the revenue, and that they should cause this list to be laid on the table. To this compromise, I demurred, stating that my motive had not been made in expectation of pecuniary saving but because a general feeling existed in the country regarding the corruption of the house of commons. It was notorious that commissions in the army and navy had been given for votes in that house, and to such an extent was the system carried that the best way to preferment it was considered to be, by the purchase of a house or two, in usually contested boroughs. I could not accept as a substitute for my motion an alphabetical list of pensions and places, though it would be an object of great curiosity, and though many might be ashamed of holding such offices if their names were exposed to public view on these grounds i would press my motion to a division which was carried against me by a majority of twenty-nine mr percival then moved his amendment which elicited from mr whitbread a declaration that it was unquestionably lord cochrane's meaning that there should be exhibited during the present session of parliament a list of all the members of that house which holding sinecure offices, places etc. under government, and in that way liable to have their conduct influenced, if such a return were not made, the House would disgrace itself. Those who at present respected the House would suspect that all was not right, while those who already suspected it would have their suspicions confirmed. End quote. Mr. Sheridan also pronounced Mr. Percival's amendment quote, to be nothing but an evasion of my motion, intended to overwhelm the inquiry. And thus to suffocate the object Lord Cochrane had in view. The house, however, was not inclined to publish its own shame, and Mr. Percival's amendment was carried by a large majority. So far as the production of the general pension list was concerned, my first essay in the house was thus a success. The ill feeling, however, engendered towards myself amongst men of both parties, the greater portion of whom were either implicated in or recipients of the corruption denounced by a few servants of the crown cannot at the present day be conveyed to the imagination of the reader to appreciate it he must have been conversant with such matters fifty years ago and have witnessed the first onslaught made upon them from a quarter so unexpected on the tenth of july i brought forward a motion on naval abuses as in the present day any discussion of a matter so remote would be tedious it will suffice for the continuation of the narrative to transcribe from the pages of hansard all that need be said on the subject lord cochrane rose and said sir i wish to avert part of the impending dangers of my country has made me resolve to move for certain papers relative to the naval service not with a retrospective view to blame individuals but that unnecessary hardships may cease to exist i am willing to believe that members of this house whose talents are capable to do justice to the cause are ignorant of circumstances which for years have embittered the lives of seamen employed in his majesty's service and that as to the gentlemen of the naval profession who have seats here i suppose that the diffidence occasioned by the awe which this house at first inspires has prevented them from performing this important duty i shall be as brief as possible but as the nature of some of the papers for which i am about to move is unknown to many members of this house it will be necessary that i should give some explanation the first motion is that there be laid before this house copies of all letters or representations made by commanders of his majesty's sloop atlante and schooner felix Addressed to Captain Keats, open bracket, commanding off Rockfort, close bracket, respecting the state and condition of those vessels, and the sick therein, the object of this motion is to prove that vessels under the present system are kept at sea in a dangerous state, and that the lives of many officers and men are in constant peril. Lieutenant Cameron, who commanded the Felix, and since lost in that vessel, was one of the best and ablest officers I ever knew. He found it incumbent on him to report that the felix ought to be sent into port to repair i shall read part of two letters from the surgeon dated three months before they all perished and previous to lieutenant cameron's being appointed to command that vessel the other dated eight days before that melancholy event on the fourteenth of november he says our noble commander has been very active in his endeavors to get confirmed to this vessel much more than i should be she sails worse and worse and i think the chances are against our ever bringing her into an english port on the fourteenth of january eighteen o seven the surgeon says every endeavour has been put in force by cameron and myself to get her into port but without success he attacked the commodore with most miserable epistles of distress throughout and i attacked him with a very formidable sick list but all my friend would not do i may be told that there is danger in agitating such subjects But there can be none at any time in bringing to the knowledge of the legislature for redress that which is notorious to those who have a right to claim it no sir let grievances be redressed in time and complaints will cease when the imperious the ship i command was about to leave rochfort i was ordered to revictual the Atlante for six weeks though she had then been out eight months a period sufficient to ruin the health break the energy and weary the spirit of all employed in such a vessel the atlante was hauled alongside the commander and several officers came on board and informed me of the bad condition of their sloop they said she was wholly unfit to keep the sea and that a gale of wind would cause her inevitable loss i think they said the foremast and bowsprit and foreyard were all sprung besides the vessel made twenty inches of water per hour i thought it well to mention the circumstances thus reported to the commanding officer off Rockfort for i well knew that the minds of subordinate officers ordered to survey were impressed with terror lest any vessel surveyed should not be found on arriving in port quite so bad as represented their usual plan therefore is to say such a vessel can keep the sea a while longer knowing that if any accident occurs it will be ascribed to zeal for the good of his majesty's service so much impressed was i with the bad state of this vessel that i said to the builder of plymouth yard in the presence of admiral sutton on my arrival there that the first news we should have from rockfort if there should happen to be a gale of wind would be the loss of the atlantic under the harassing system of eight or nine months cruises men get tired of their lives and even indifferent as to the choice between a french prison and their present misery the next document i propose to move for is quote, an abstract of the weekly accounts of his majesty's ships and frigates employed off brest and rockfort from the 1st of march 1806 until the 1st of march 1807 quote. "from this the number of men employed the number of sick the time the ships had been kept at sea and the time they had been allowed in harbour to refit the vessels and recruit the crews will appear the plantagenet for instance was 8 months within 4 hours sail of england she was then forced by a stress of weather into falmouth where she remained 12 days windbound but an order existed which i shall presently make the subject of a motion by which neither officer nor man could stretch his legs on the gravel beach within fifty yards of the ship in order to show how little benefit has been derived from supplies at sea as a substitute for refreshment and recreation which crews were formerly suffered to enjoy i shall next move that there be laid before this house an account of the quantity of fresh provisions expressed in day's allowance received at sea by each of his majesty's ships off rockford and brest from the first of march 1806 to the first of march 1807 formerly when the four months provisions were expended the return of a ship to port was a matter of course but now they are victualled and revictualled at sea so that an east india voyage is performed with more refreshment than a channel cruise lime juice is the substitute for fresh provisions a debilitating antidote to the scurvy unfit to re-establish the strength of the body impaired by constant use of salt provisions the next motion which i shall propose is that there be laid before this house all orders issued and acted on between the first of march eighteen o six and march eighteen o seven respecting leave to be granted or withheld from officers or men distinguishing who was commander-in-chief at the times of issuing such orders it is a hard case that in harbour neither officer nor men shall be permitted to go on shore these orders i do not hesitate to condemn and the injustice appears the more striking when it is remembered that the commander-in-chief resided in london enjoying not only the salary of his office but claiming the emolument of prize-money gained by the toil of those in active service i shall not be surprised to find the office of commander-in-chief bestowed on some favourite as a sinecure by some future minister with respect to the sick i feel it necessary to say a few words but i shall first read my motion on that subject that there be laid before this house all orders issued and acted on between the first of march eighteen o five and the first of march eighteen o seven by or by the authority of the commander-in-chief of his majesty's ships and vessels in the channel allowing or restraining commanding officers from sending men to the naval hospitals or restricting their admission to such hospitals in consequence of regulations established in these institutions men are frequently refused admittance no man whatever his state of health can be sent to an hospital from any of the ships in the channel fleet unless previously examined by the surgeon of the commander-in-chief deaths amputations and total loss of health were the consequences of the impossibility of this officer going from ship to ship in bad weather when opportunity offered to convey the sick to port so pertinaciously were such regulations adhered to that although i sent a sick lieutenant and a man ruptured to the hospital they were not admitted the disease of the one open bracket who was under salivation close bracket was declared to be contrary to the order regulating admission and he was returned through sleet and rain the other was refused because everything possible had not been done to reduce the rupture as he had not been hung up by the heels in a rolling sea which might have proved his death the system of naval hospitals is thoroughly bad mistaken economy has even reduced the quantity of lint for the purpose of dressing wounds to the ships there is not half enough allowed unworthy savings have been unworthily made endangering the lives of officers and seamen indeed the grievances of the navy have been and are so severe through rigour and mistaken economy that i can see nothing more meritous than the patience with which these grievances have been endured sir samuel hood admiral Harvey, admiral markham the chancellor of the exchequer mr wyndham and others spoke against the motion lord cochrane rose in reply and said i disclaim sir any motive whatever except a regard for the real interests of my country though i confess that i cannot help feeling in common with others the treatment received improper motives have been imputed to me and i might reply to one of those gentlemen who has denied facts which i can prove that he was one of those who established this abominable system what his abilities may be in matters not connected with the naval service i know not but it is a known fact that his noble patron the earl st vincent sent the master of the ville de paris to put his ship in some tolerable order Open bracket. here there was a cry of order order from admiral harvey and others Close bracket. With respect to the assertion made by the same gentleman that the health of the men is increased by long cruises at sea and that the commander-in-chief is improved by being on shore he may reconcile that if he can i shall not follow the example of imputing improper motives Open bracket, looking at captain sir samuel hood Close bracket. but another complaint is that under this obnoxious system of favouritism captains have been appointed to large commands of six and seven sail of the line as many frigates and as many sloops of war, the right of admirals who have served and can serve their country and who have bled in its cause, but perhaps for such times their ranks did not afford a prospect of their being sufficiently subservient. This house, I believe, need not be told that from this cause there are admirals of ability who have lingered in neglect open bracket, a cry of order, order, from Admiral Harvey and others, close bracket, Sir, two parts of the statement of the Honourable Knight are especially worthy of notice, so far as they were meant as a reply to my statement. He said he had a hundred men killed and wounded in his ship, and no complaint, no inconvenience, arose from want of lint or anything else. First, this occurred when the surgeons supplied their own necessaries, and next, the wounded men were sent on the day following to Gibraltar Hospital now sir with respect to the blame said to have been attributed by me to lord st vincent for the loss of the felix and atalante i have to say that it is of the general system and its consequences of which i complain of endless cruisers rendering surveys at sea as a substitute for a proper examination of the state of ships in port the honourable knight is a little unfortunate in the comparison he has made saying that lord st vincent was no more to blame in the case of these vessels than for my getting the imperieuse On shore on the coast of france now since this subject has been touched on i must state that i made application for a court-martial on my conduct but it was not granted because the blame would have fallen where it ought on the person whose repeated positive commands sent the ship to sea in an unfit condition the people of the yard had not finished the work all was in confusion the quarter-deck guns lay unfitted forty tons of ballast besides provisions of all kinds remained on deck the powder, open bracket, allowed to be taken on board only when the ship is out of harbour, close bracket, was received when the ship was in that condition and the Imperius was hurried to sea without a cartridge filled or a gun loaded. The order issued was, to quit the port the instant the ship would steer, regardless of every other material circumstance. Open bracket, another cry of order, order, from the same gentleman. The speaker said the noble lord must confine himself to the motion before the house, close bracket well sir it is asserted that a profusion of oranges is supplied to the fleet at lisbon in reply to my statement that none are allowed in the hospitals at home i have not heard from any of those who have so zealously spoken on the other side a defence of the obnoxious order to keep all officers and men on board all such grievances may seem slight and matter of indifference to those who are here at their ease but i view them in another light and if no one better qualified will represent subjects of great complaint i will do so independent of every personal consideration in the course of the debate it has been asserted that i said lime-juice was a bad cure for the scurvy no it is a cure and almost a certain cure but debilitating it destroys the disease but ruins the constitution an honourable member open bracket, Mr. Sheridan, close bracket, has said that all this should have been represented to the admiralty that this house is an improper place for such discussions and he has threatened to call for all letters from me to the board To the first i answer that boards pay no attention to the representations of individuals whom they consider under their command next that if the right honourable gentleman calls for my letters he will find some that will not suit his purpose sir besides the public abuses the oppression and scandalous persecution of individuals often on anonymous information has been and is matter of great complaint sir if the present admiralty shall increase the sum allowed for the refreshment of crews in port instead of corrupting their bodies by salt provisions and then drenching them with lime-juice they will deserve the gratitude and thanks of all employed in the navy we have had to lament the system that makes the admiralty an appendage of the minister of the day and that just as a board begin to see and perhaps to plan reform they are removed from office i trust sir that i shall not be denied the papers moved for and that my motion will not be got rid of by a blind vote of confidence or the subterfuge of the previous question The motion was negatived without a division." From the preceding extract it will have been seen that my motion produced no effect upon the House. It, however, produced a cessation of my legislative functions, for immediately afterwards I was ordered to join Lord Collingwood's fleet in the Mediterranean, it being perhaps anticipated that I should vacate my seat in consequence. But this the electors of Westminster prevented by giving me unlimited leave of absence from my parliamentary duties. End of chapter 13 Recording by Timothy Ferguson Gold Coast, Australia